Again, good morning and welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you too. We are in the book of Acts, chapter 11, if you have your Bibles. We will in a moment stand and read Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. The title of this morning's message is Resisting the Holy Spirit. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Under three minutes it should take, in case you're wondering. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter explained it to them. An order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea, Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If, therefore, God gave them the same gift as he gave us when he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted the Gentiles repentance to life. Please be seated. How many people would pick this chapter to read and just... <laughs> it's a, it's a, the beauty of going verse by verse. There's just so much the Bible offers to us. Uh, at this time in Christianity, almost the entire church was Jewish. The Gentiles will, of course, uh, take over as far as that demographic goes. Almost all of the church, therefore, still living under the distinctions made by the law between Jew and Gentile. And they didn't have a problem with this. Peter himself admits that he struggled with this. And he boasted uh, that, not so, Lord, nothing unclean has touched my lips. From childhood, they were trained to be more interested in the violation of Judaism 
than in what God was doing. They, from childhood, they were more interested, they were trained this way to uphold Judaism, to be more concerned with Judaism than what the Lord was actually doing. And this became a pro- was a problem. The entire ministry of the Lord Jesus when he ministered in Israel, uh, this was the, their big stumbling point. They were inflexible. The whole point of the parable and the teaching that Jesus gave on all wineskins. Luke chapter 5, verse 37, No one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. The first Christians had to learn that the gospel cannot be patched or poured into Judaism. They're irreconcilable. They cannot function at the same time successfully. Something legalistic Christians still don't get. And it's, it's rather widespread. We Christians are notorious for resisting fresh things of God. Some on a very petty level, but very serious about it. And some on a larger scale. Of course, not with the essential doctrines. We're not looking to be flexible with the Trinity, with the deity of Christ, uh, the sovereignty of God, the unchanging nature of God, the immutability of God. Those things, we're we're not looking to have a fresh experience, uh, well, a fresh teaching and experiences is different. Uh, Just to be blessed by the understanding of what God has revealed to us. The Jews, like many professed Christians... They had this track record of resisting the Holy Spirit of God. God the Holy Spirit. He's not an outside partner. He's not a lesser partner. He's not like, well, he only has 10% of the shares of the corporation. He is fully God. And I think that this largely is because not paying attention, not listening, missing the key points. God is not asking us to violate the word. He's asking us to understand it. Think not that I came to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And it's all connected back to the promises. And when I close, I'll hopefully quote from Isaiah, this matter of Messiah being the servant of God who would take the light to the Gentiles, something the Jews were not doing. You could ask a Jew today, which of you really has taken the light to the Gentiles? None. Just Jesus. Jesus Christ did that, and so did his apostles, and they struggled to do it. And so this not listening caused Jesus to say, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. That was a lamentation. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing Stephen called them out on it, and they killed him for saying it. It was true. No one could deny it. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Now, Stephen was talking to not Jewish people who had received Jesus as Messiah. He was speaking to Jewish people who had not received Jesus as Messiah. But the point that he makes that is relevant for Jew, Gentile, and Christian is that we have the capacity to resist the Holy Spirit of God 
And that is not what God wants. And we shouldn't want it either. In Galatians, Paul, going into the Gentile world, penetrated the Gentile world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You should know how hard that is. Try penetrating the the workplace where you are. Try making converts where you live. You know how difficult that is. And then others would come behind Paul and try to undo his work. Try to make them uh, uh, Judaizers. Trying to get them to convert to Moses' law before they can convert to Christ. And Paul wrote, scratching his head and breaking his heart, his heart breaking at the same time, are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect in the flesh? You receive Christ based on faith after hearing the truth preached to you? And now you're going into all these rituals to somehow find favor with God? It's by faith. Resisting the Holy Spirit simply means I tell God no. Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, canceled Judaism. That's who it took to do it. That's the way it was supposed to be done. And it was fiercely resisted. His own apostles didn't get it at first. They did eventually get it, some more than others. James never became as gallant for it, as nowhere near as gallant for it as Paul. It was really hard for them. Again, they were raised this way. And so now we look at verse 1, understanding hopefully somewhat what we're dealing with here, because every single thing that we see in the negative in Scripture, we are capable of. And that means there's a lesson. If we want to be more Christ-like, if we want to be better at Christianity, we pay attention to the lessons. But you will find out that reality is more skilled than you nonetheless, and you're going to have to take hits. You're going to have to get wounded if you're going to serve Christ effectively. Expect it. But you are expected also to prevail, to persevere, to endure, to overcome. This is spiritual war. And I don't personally care to boast about it. I personally do not care to say I'm a spiritual warrior because it hurts too much. But, But it is worth it. All of it is worth it. And I have to tell myself that, that, that sometimes because that's my theology. That's what I've come to learn and love about the God I know personally. But again, there are, there are realities that challenge every single doctrine. If you stick around Christianity long enough and if you apply it, Satan will test you. Our teens went up to camp. The Holy Spirit moved amongst them at, at one of the bonfires. Well, Satan, he's going to say, oh, I'll just back off for a little. He might say this, I, one of his tactics, I'll back off for a little bit, and then I'll get them when they don't expect it. If you learned how to worship that moment, if you learned how at that moment to pour out your heart to God in song, don't lose it. Look to do it again. Invite him in. Have you, if you've been serving Christ for years, but you've grown stale in your faith, fight back. Take it. Uh, it's, it's well worth it. And that's why we have the single word, worship. Worship means worthy. He is worthy of this. Well, looking at verse 1, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Word traveled fast, some 55 miles from Caesarea to Jerusalem. And Peter lingered a few days in the house of Gentiles, 
while word got back to Jerusalem, this would cause an uprising. There would be outrage in the ranks. How dare he do that? Well, they were resisting the Holy Spirit, didn't even know it. They thought they were doing God's will. Peter, Jesus had even warned his disciples about that. But word spread, as we would say, like wildfire, but they couldn't wait to confront him. They were so waiting for Peter to get back to Jerusalem. Instead of saying, the Gentiles have received the word of God, praise God. Oh, no, no, no. That is not what was going to happen. There is, as I mentioned, outrage. And they would demand that Peter explain or else. These guys were fierce. They weren't these nice little churchgoers. In fact, I don't know that there's such a thing. <laughs> they are nice. They're wonderful churchgoers. But in those ranks, there can be some pretty mean ones too. May it not be me and may it not be you. Well, verse 2, and Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him. Yeah, it seems so, you know, academic. And so we debated, the, debated. They, they were looking at him with a hatred and contempt. He knew they were waiting for him, them. <clears throat> On his 55-mile trek back, his days while he spent, he's saying to himself, I'm going to have to answer for this to these people. We're going to get back to that in a minute, too. Again, these are the Jews who accepted Jesus as their Messiah. But they were not accepting that their beloved Messiah was doing away with Judaism, which really was the product of the rabbis taking the law of Moses and uh, bloating it with rules and regulations that God never put on people. And as for the rules and regulations that God gave to Moses, many of those would be moved aside also, but not all of them. Certainly not the moral code, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. Sounds more forceful when you use thou than you, because it sounds like you're talking about the guy in the next, you know, next to you in the pew. Thou shalt not, but when you, you shall not. Well, hardened against Anything outside of rabbinical teachings. That's what they were. They suppose all of Moses' law would remain and therefore felt obligated to uphold it. They weren't listening. Christ had preached on these things. So far, there was no New Testament writing at this point in history. Matthew's Gospel, the Thessalonian letter, they did not exist. They only had the Old Testament and, and the oral teachings of the apostles and those who had been around Christ when he walked. But as I mentioned, they were upholding the rabbinical teachings. For example, you're not supposed to eat with Gentiles. Well, that's not Moses' law. That's rabbinical law. The rabbis came up with that one. However, Jesus was a rabbi. So if you're going to listen to the rabbis, which ones? Because in the Mishnah and the Talmud, their writings, they argued with each other, as even Christian commentators do. Which rabbi are you going to listen to? And that's what it comes down to. Did the writers of the Talmud and the Mishnah, the critics in the, amongst the Pharisees and Sadducees, did they do the miracles that Christ did? Not even close. You could add up all the, all the prophets of the Old Testament, and they couldn't come close to what Jesus did. And the main reason Christ did the miracles was to announce, I am the Messiah. 
nobody comes close. There was no reason to say, he can't be. Well, did they die for sinners? Absolutely not. Did they rise again from the dead? Of course not. Did they baptize anyone in the Holy Spirit? No. Did anybody do this? Yes. Jesus did them all. And we love him for it. And when I love the word of God, but yet reality starts punching me upside my head, I'm going to stick to the Lord no matter what. When I don't understand it, I thought you'd never leave nor forsake. I feel my, pretty forsaken right now. I'm just going to trust. I'm going to trust you. Because you are big enough to trust and nobody else is. And others have done it before me. And I admire them for it. To them, the distinction between the Jew and the Gentile, clean and the unclean, was forever. That's why Peter, even in the vision, said, not so. Nothing unclean has touched these lips, buddy. Well, Christ was not talking about food. He's going to sweep that away, too. But the food fighters will track, track down the believers who didn't like that. So they did not see a benefit to Messiah outside of Judaism. Otherwise, they never would have tried to lay this on the Gentiles. We hope they learned their lesson by the time Peter was done. They're not. Chapter 15, we'll get back to it again. It will heavily impact Peter, what he's going through on, at, on this day before his accusers, those contending with him. The apostles were surrounded by these types in the church. They even sent them up to Antioch, where the, church, where the Christians were first called Christians, where the Gentiles were flooding into the church, where Barnabas recognized a need for solid Bible teaching and somebody that could do it to the Gentiles and went to Tarsus of Cilicia to find Paul. Saul at the time and bring him back. And James, James would uh, respond to that. According to Romanism, you might know it as Roman Catholicism, but the word Catholic means universal. And if you say, well, it's Roman universal, that's a contradiction. It is uh, either Roman or it is universal. But that's how they do it. It's also known as Romanism. And they say that Peter was the first pope and therefore infallible on spiritual matters. Well, these guys didn't get the memo <laughs> because Peter is answering to them. They would not have dared question Peter if they viewed him as the first pope. They would have accepted whatever he said as a, as a papal edict. But they questioned him. There is only biblical opposition to the idea of a pope in Christianity. The Bible does not, not only does the Bible not agree with it, it disagrees with it. It's a little emphatic. The Bible demands that we follow the scripture faith alone, in Christ alone, through the scripture alone. Here they are again demanding he be accountable to their understanding. They were disproving that Peter was the Pope. That's what's in our Bible. Later, as I mentioned, when James sends those up to Antioch and, or, and other, well, in Gal let's go to Galatia first. In Galatia, 
Paul will write, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. So Paul is writing to the Galatians, and he's talking to them about these things, about the law and Judaism and Christianity being distinct. And he says, Peter, the beloved apostle, he got tripped up. And I had to deal with Peter on this. Well, why did Peter get tripped up? He and Barnabas. Because they were sick of it. They were so tired of the Jews that were, were sticking to Judaism, trying to inject it into Christianity, and putting them on trial for everything they did that was free in Christ. Paul at one point said, they, they came to spy out our liberty. They came to report back to James, do you know they're actually eating pork up there? This was from fierce times. That, the, the Bible refutes any who hold subscriptural views or unbiblical views in Christ's name. The Bible calls them out on it, rejects them. And those who know the word of God will do it hopefully in truth and with love. And the early church did not regard Peter as having supremacy in the church. And here's the evidence for it. And this is just one because he's going to go through it again. And if he were the Pope, how could, Peter, how could Paul ever put him in his place in front of everybody? Well, we've settled that. If you say, you know, I don't care to hear that. There is a Catholic church not far from here. That's where you should be. Because to say that you have to line up with someone else's doctrine is uh, unfair and unwise even and unkind. I, I don't mean that in a mean way, but it, these are just the facts. See, reality comes at you, does it not? Anyway, verse 3 now, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. <gasps> yeah, well, you're going to hell now, buddy. Well, that is how they thought. Peter rendered circumcision irrelevant to faith and the relationship with God through Christ. And that relationship surpasses all the rights in, in one sweep. They're all gone. The blood of Jesus Christ is that powerful because it is the blood of the Son of God. And the mean faces thought they were right. Again, back up to Galatia. Paul points to a case in the Titus. He says... Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. It was never part of Christianity. And Paul is leading people to Christ. He's leading Gentiles to Christ. He makes a, he, he makes a compromise with Timothy because Timothy's father was Jewish. And we'll talk about that when we get to it later on in the Bible. Not, not at, well, we might get to it in Acts anyway. But there's so much more to talk about here. Let me get back on course. So he went to the house of those who were Gentiles. And he ate with them. They're the food fighters. In those days, people ate with their hands. Some of you do, too, I've, I've noticed. Uh, well, certainly there are finger foods. But all the food was a finger food then. And double dipping was unavoidable. And there was no effort to even stop. There were no napkins. You used the bread as a napkin. And so you, you, you take a bite. You dip it in the sauce. You take a bite. And you dip it in again. Disgusting. You know it is disgusting. And if, if, if we went out to dinner and you dipped on my plate, that'd be the end of my meal. I'd check, please. Anyhow, you touch the same loaf of bread, 
you dipped and re-dipped in the same sauces, you handled and tore off the same pieces of meat from the same part of the animal, when you shared your meal, you were sharing DNA. That's what was going on. It was a big deal to them, the Jews, sharing DNA with the Gentiles. Well, it's a big deal to me, too. As a Gentile, well, used to be, sharing DNA with any of these guys, he's gross. But that's how life was back then. And another reason to appreciate being born sometime in the 20th, 21st century. Because you get air conditioning and heating and you don't have to double dip. <laughs> Peter shared this view with them. He was Before, before God, God got hold of him, he had the same view. And God had to unseat that view. Thus the vision and all the little satellite emphasis that were hitting Peter at the same time. So when Jesus said to the Jews, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and give it light, and, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, the Jews said we're doing that to the Jews, not to the Gentiles. And let me tell you, if, if there were any other people called to be the people of God and not the, the children of Jacob, they'd be doing the same stuff. So none of this stuff about, well, those Jews are all messed up. People are messed up. We've been defective since Eden. And uh, just, you know, don't, don't fall for Satan's little racial moves because he's, a, he's evil and he's wily. Anyway, they did not uh, take, take it lightly, uh, even though, well, they didn't take the light to the Gentiles, even though they were surrounded by Gentiles. What if you were surrounded by unbelievers? Well, at least I would think you would ask God to give you a chance to share the gospel. Uh, some Christians will try to knock the door down, cast pearl before swine, which Jesus warned against. But others, I think the, the more mature approach would be, Lord, there's a lot of unbelievers around me. Can you use me here? Can I be of any help in bringing the gospel? Uh, I think Peter could be intimidated by those who he felt were more educated than him academically. He was a, a fisherman. And when he was around those who had degrees and all, I think he felt, you know, they could they pronounce words better than him. They could spell better than him. They could, they could just do stuff uh, academically better. And I think it intimidated him a little bit. Even Paul wavered a little bit under James. You know, hey, just go pay their vows. He should have said, no, there are no vows to pay. He did later write about that. Stephen, he stood up to the Jews who were rejecting Jesus as Messiah it says in Acts 6, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Well, they're not going to fully be able to resist Peter in this session, but it's going to come back. It's not going to go away. After this confrontation and the confrontation that comes in Acts 15, I think he was, he and, he was worn down by their viciousness. So when he gets up to Antioch that Paul was talking about in Galatians, when he gets up there, he stops eating with the Gentiles when those from James come up, and he goes over to eat with them, and the Gentiles are treated like they're unclean. And they're all asking Paul, what's up with that? Why, why doesn't Peter eat with us? And Paul says, well, I got this one. And that's when he, he confronts him. And Peter loved him for it. Uh, you know, to be able to go to a friend, faithful are the wounds 
of a friend, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And if Paul had said, oh, don't worry, Peter, God knows you're sick and tired of all this stuff. Just go ahead. I'll take care. I'll, I'll explain it to the Gentiles. That would have been uh, just an awful piece of history. You either cave or you defy. And it is troubling to see so many Christians say, I'm so sick of politicians who cave in to these fringe groups, these wacko groups that are out there, these immoral groups, and yet they expect their pastor to cave when they want something. Uh, it's a double standard, and it, it may it not be so with you, and it may it not be with me. Anyway, verse 4, But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, now before we get to what he said, and he's very patient with them, it seems, Peter has not just accepted the Gentiles as Christians, but now he's their advocate as Christians. And that took courage. But just because you had courage in May doesn't mean you're going to have it the next time, the next month. It can wear you down. And this is, of course, um, a, a part of life that we should be on guard against. But Peter is their advocate now because God made it so. If you fear people more than God, you won't think straight in your theology. We've got to get to the place. We're not in a rude way either. Uh, just that, you know, I mentioned if you come here and you don't like what I say about Roman Catholicism, I'm not, trying, I'm not being rude to you. At least you may take it that way. That's not my intention. But, but then go to that church if you like their doctrine. But don't come up in here because we've seen this. And we've seen, we've also seen... Family members support them when they come and criticize, you know, hey, we don't like you picking on, you know, some whatever doctrine. Could be Jehovah's Witness, anything. And, and you know, can you not do that? Uh, no. In fact, I'm ready to do it again. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I ain't changing, hopefully. And I don't mean that arrogantly. With God's help, we just tell it what we believe. Well, I know it can, sound, it can sound harsh, but really I'm a nice guy when you give me money. I've just noticed that about me. It's, it's adorable. It's really nice. All right, back to this. Verse 5. I'm kidding. If, you, if you're visiting here, it's not true. I'm more like bitcoins instead of the cash. <laughs> Verse 5. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision... An object descending like a great sheet let down from heavenly from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. Where we read this in chapter ten. Luke, do we have to read this again? Yes. Originally, Luke wrote Acts on parchment. Very difficult to just find this material of expensive in the, at the time. Made from dried animal skins, usually sheep, lambs, something like that. It's a rather scarce material by, by our standards today. You just go get a whole pack of paper anywhere here. If he put this in scroll form, it would have been like 35 feet long, the book of Acts. So for him to write this story again means it's that important. It means don't miss this. Luke was a Gentile, and he is saying this was revolutionary. This is, this is the Jesus Christ that I love. And so he is, this is that big of a deal that on the scarce parchment, he writes again the same story 
the details are repeated. <coughs> Pardon me. <clears throat> this uh, verse 6. When I observed it intently, I considered and considered I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air, verse 7, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Well, Peter starts with his spiritual experience. This is going to get their attention because he's talking about unclean animals, and they were all over that. When Paul goes later to, to preach after they arrested him there in the temple, they listened to Paul as he covered their history, as he talked about Christ, right up until one word, Gentiles. And they went, they, they just went wow, crazy after that. So you, you, you understand uh, the passions that were flying around, the, the, the biases, the prejudices in the name of religion is very dangerous stuff. For Peter, God used the menu to make his point. These were animals that God said in the vision, slay and eat. This is the menu, Peter. Verse 11, but I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. And Peter was very proud of his answer. Uh, again, as I mentioned, when we covered this in chapter 10, he may have thought it was a test. And he's like, yeah, I got that right. What is the first thing that we read that confronted Daniel in Babylon? The menu. <laughs> like, I can't eat that stuff. I got a good idea. How about we just, and on the story goes. Well, verse 11, but the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed you must not call common. Well, those dietary laws, I know there are those that think that they were for health reasons, and I disagree wholeheartedly with that. You can get just as sick from eating uh, beef as you, as you can from pork. Uh, so, I mean, it's just not so. You look at, if you could find people up there and say, you know what, all the Jews don't eat pork and they're much healthier than everybody else. Well, that's not the case. It's just like everybody else. Uh, anyway, those laws, they protected the Jewish people from assimilation into the Gentile world. They kept them distinct. And that was not only the, the dietary laws, there were other laws too. And there were other things that, uh, teachings that belonged to, to these laws, uh, types and anti-types. We don't have time to even scratch the surface on those. But... All, the, the, the most important point is they kept the Jews separate. And aren't we glad? Because Satan hates that. Satan wants to destroy the Jewish people. And he ain't never going to be able to do that. All the promises God made about Israel and the Jewish people will ultimately be fulfilled. Well, the Old Testament laws were tremendously effective in keeping a Jew a Jew. And that's not a derogatory word at all. What, is this supposed to change everything, what we're reading here? Just because Peter had a vision? Yes. That's why they are the apostles of Jesus Christ. This is the authority that they were given to bring everything into perspective to Christ. The faithful have been confined to a single race up till now. They had been confined to the, the laws of Moses since Moses. Now it was time to reach others. And God wanted faith in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and his work to be the identity and the protection of believers. We're not to assimilate into the unbelieving world. We are to remain separate. 
but we are to have contact with them nonetheless. Else, how else do you reach them? Paul covers this in, in the Corinthian letter uh, in, de- in detail. So uh, the separation is still required of righteous people, but it's not a racial thing. It's a faith thing now. Uh, no longer are God's people distinct from everybody else because of circumcision, festivals, cuisine, or rituals. And God got what he wanted in Christ, his son. That makes the distinction between us and everybody else. So you can have a Christian who uh, is a Calvinist, follows Reformed theology, and one who does not. But they know who Jesus is. They, they agree on that, that he is God the Son and uh, they agree on the Trinity. They agree on this. They just may disagree on how God saves a soul. Um, so I'm not going to make any jokes about that. Okay, just three. No, I'm not. So it just a, it's a fact that it is by faith in Christ. Uh, even the Reformers did not agree with each other on every single point. And so you, you have their writings debating each other. And they're pretty hot. Uh, <laughs> pretty hot and they're passionate, we would say. Anyway, uh, coming back to this. John chapter 17, Jesus praying, speaking about the apostles and those who would be the disciples thereof, that line that has in existence to this day. Jesus said, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We are separate. Sanctify them. Set them aside. Separate. By your truth, your word is truth. So, On our menu is the word of God, which is the bread of life. This is the manna that's come down from heaven. Jesus said, uh, you know, uh, John opening the gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And and develops this entire teaching for us. God wants us to be protected from the world, not by food, but by faith. Verse 10. Now, this was done three times. And all were drawn up again into heaven. You know, when you, when you serve the Lord by faith, you don't get to show off. See, this is the thing with legalistic Christians. They get to show off. Look at me. Look how I wear my hair. Well, look at me. Look how I wear my hair. So, uh, you know, and there it, is a lot of that going on. Look at my family. Look at my church. Look at, look at you know, I, uh, you know I, I don't eat this. And I don't eat that. I'm eating God's way. That's nonsense. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you preach that? Do you uphold his code? There's more important things. I'm not saying that you should be a stumbling block to other people. Yes, we do. We, we don't really mind how you dress when you come to church, which we want you dressed. I mean, so you've got to use your brains. Verse 10, now it was done three times and all were drawn up again into heaven. Now, this is emphatic. In fact, it is insistent. That's why it was done three times. God is insisting this on be pushing it on him. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4, verse, th- verse 12. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And more strength. So to be confused is to, is to be weakened. And God doesn't want Peter confused or the church. And he's making this clear. Deuteronomy 19, 15. This is the law. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be established. And he got three times that witness was given to Peter. This is repeated uh, eight times in the scripture. Might be six. I forget. Anyway, it's repeated New Testament, Old Testament. Uh, It is six. Thank you. Not you. (laughs) All were drawn up again into heaven. 
Well, the point there was if, if they were good enough for God, they're good enough for you. If God didn't see it, if they were unclean, then God wouldn't have pulled them up to heaven. But he, he brings in the vision to Peter. He brings them up to heaven, and the point is they're good enough for me. Verse 11, at that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Remember, he's retelling the story. Here's another three, another set of three, the three men from Caesarea. They are Gentiles. Verse 12, then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. You know, these, are <laughs> these six men that went with Peter, they were nervous, too, about this inquisition that they were going to face. And they said, probably said, Peter, we're sure glad you're going to be doing all the talking. But they were there as witnesses. Verse 12, and the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Now, we read in the Old Testament, thus says the Lord, hundreds of times. In the New Testament, it becomes the leading of the Spirit. The Spirit told me, led by the Spirit of God. And this is the work of Christ, the giving of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 12, Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me. Six witnesses. That's twice the amount specified in the law. Two or three witnesses. So there's a double portion. Seven Jews in all, counting Peter, plus the six friends that accompanied him to Joppa. Number, the number seven is the number of completion in Scripture. You know, seven days in a week, and it's over. You start the next week. And so the, the law was complete. And now we have this fresh work of God, the new covenant that he said was coming. It wasn't like he just said, boom, he go. <laughs> he, he prophesied these things. And Jeremiah lays it out. I will make a new testament with you. And we have it. And others don't. They don't want it. And we entered the man's house. Yep, we did. And when he says, doubting nothing, he's, it's, a, it's a forceful statement. He's saying, I did what I was told, and I wasn't doubting. It's kind of like, well, if you're doubting, that's your problem. I'm trying to help you with it, but I, I didn't doubt. Verse 13. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Well, not many people could say they saw an angel in their house. And actually did. If the angel could stand in the house of a Gentile, what's your problem? <laughs> That's a pretty, pretty powerful thought there. Uh, it says he singles Peter out and calls Simon, whose surname is Peter. Peter was summoned personally by God to this work. Verse 14, who would tell the words by which you and all your household will be saved. What this is saying is, if one in the house can get saved from hearing the gospel, then they all can get saved. No one's now got an excuse. You heard the same message. The two thieves on the cross. That whole household of crucified, which was just two, Christ in the center. They had the same gospel. They both could have responded. One of them opted out. And he's paying for it to this day. Uh, there is no mention of Jesus saving Cornelius until Peter gets there to declare Christ to him. Cornelius could not get saved without the preaching of Christ. You can't stumble into salvation. You can't look up at the stars and say, oh, God must have sent his only begotten son that whomsoever should believe in him. No, you need it. You need it said from God's word. You may find parallels. You may find uh, things that remind you 
types and anti-types, but the bottom line is faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. It was not enough to be a religious man for Cornelius or anybody else. It was not enough to be a godly man. It's not enough to be a noble man. He needed to become a Jesus man, just like the rest of us. Verse 15, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. When Peter preached the remission of sins, the Holy Spirit dramatically poured upon the audience. In Samaria, Peter laid hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, but not there in Caesarea, so uh, it's not mandatory. Verse 16, Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus made Jesus and John made the distinction between water baptism unto repentance and the baptism in the Holy Spirit to be the witnesses of the Jewish Messiah for everyone. And that's Acts 1.5. You can go to, you can go to Matthew 3.11. I do not agree, I cannot agree with those who say the gifts and the empowering of the Holy Spirit ended in, with the apostolic age. Because Peter said the promises to you and to those who are afar off, as many as will come. And it is in different ways for different people, but not outside the revelation of Scripture. Verse, uh, you know, you just, would, would you, you just give, love is it. Without love, what do the gifts matter? And that's what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 13. What if you had a pianist in a church that was just a superior? Nobody could, could move the congregation into the spirit like this person. But they were loveless. But you had another one that wasn't so good. But they loved and, and moved people into the presence of Christ. You, you, you understand the, that it's not a talent contest. It's about Christ's likeness. Well, we are at verse 17. If therefore God gave them the gift, the same gift as he gave us, when he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? And who was anyone else to withstand him? Job says, if he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? And that's what Peter is saying. Peter said, you got a problem with this? Take it to God. He says here, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the first of 28 appearances of that full title. The Lord Jesus Christ, the, the definite article, singling him out, Lord, that is his title. The name, his identity, and Christ, his distinction, distinct from everybody else. Nobody else is the Christ. Many have been anointed for different works as kings, but not as the Savior of the world. Verse 18, and when they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted the Gentiles repentance to life. Well, they did not want to resist God. But I, the others, there will be others, if not from the same group. Maybe they went home and thought about it. But there are going to be more problems. Isaiah 42, 1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. You'd think the Jews in the days of Christ and days of the apostles would have taken that verse and linked it to Christ. Well, some did, and they became Christians, but others did not. Verse 49 of Isaiah, I mean, Isaiah 49, 6. 
Again, speaking of the Messiah, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. How forceful are right words, Job said. This section, this experience of Peter is the framework for Paul's theological teachings in Ephesians 2 and 3 where God has taken down the partition wall between Gentile and Jew. And we're supposed to go forward in the strength of Christianity, Christ-likeness. And so if someone says to you, are you a Gentile? You can say, well, you could say ethnically. How did that distinction, how does it get to be the Jewish people against the whole world? Unless God is involved. And unless there's a real devil. It's because of the Bible. That's how that distinction, and the whole world honors it. And they don't even know it. They walk around thinking, the Bible's not true. And there's a Jew, there's a Gentile. You're just preaching the Bible. Anyway, am I the only one that sees this? Of course not. Let's pray. Our Father, always something from your word to make us think, to remind us of your mercy, your kindness. And just so wonderful. It's so difficult, though, for people to let go of things and come to you, those wrong things. If you've been listening and you've not opened your heart to Christ, maybe it's been difficult for you. Maybe you've had a bad experience in church or with a Christian. Or maybe you're just stubborn in your spirit. You've got to get past these things if you're going to benefit from what God has done. The fact that you can hear a sermon and listen to an altar call as you're receiving now is testimony to the fact that God is calling you to be with him, to join him, to be forgiven of your sin through him and him alone. But you've got to come. You cannot be saved from admiring the gospel. You've got to receive it. If you would like to receive it, you've got to open your heart, the deepest part of you, where your identity is. That's who you are, your soul. You've got to say, Lord Jesus, I am dead in my spirit without you, but I am alive with you. I give my life to you right now. I come to you and I ask you to forgive me, to remit my sins. I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior from this day forward. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer, knowing that there's salvation nowhere else, may they not be ashamed of it. May they be quick to tell it. May they line up with you and be your servant. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.